0: Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly. Throughout the month of December, The Ringer staff will be releasing their year-end reviews covering the best and worst of 2018 in sports, TV, movies, music, and more. This week on the site, you can read Chris Ryan and Allison Herman on the best TV shows of 2018, and Chase Serrano and Rob Harvilla on the best albums of the year. You can check it all out on theringer.com.
1: Alright, so the thing about going on hiatus is that in some cases it means that you come back a day earlier than you would have even if you had kept to your normal podcast schedule. So, uh, in the spirit of not being on hiatus anymore, welcome to The Ringer MLB Show. My name is Michael Bauman. I'm a staff writer at The Ringer. I am joined by fellow staff writer Zach Graham. Zach? Hello. And our producer uh, and Seattle Seahawks linebacker, Bobby Wagner.
2: How's it going? You <laughs> saw my... You saw my tweet with the mentions?
1: (laughs) Well, I saw Meg Rowley, uh, who is the editor of Fangraphs and a big Seahawks fan, tweeting praise for Bobby Wagner uh, yesterday afternoon. And I was like, huh, I like Bobby Wagner too. And (laughs) I put it all together. So congratulations on your an interception yesterday, right?
2: Yeah, longest return in Seattle Seahawks history. I've been working really hard this. I worked hard in the offseason. Now that we took a hiatus on the Ringer MLB show, I have more time to... Get in the weight room.
1: Congratulations. Obviously, that time has paid off. Um, so we promised last week that we would come back for big news. Uh, and big news has happened. Bryce Harper has shaved his head. This was revealed on Instagram uh, as he was he he and his wife and and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Chris Bryant were at a concert with a really weird bill. And Bryce Harper has a buzz cut now. And it's very strange. Zach, your thoughts?
0: Uh, my thoughts are that one of the first, 35 highest ranked free agents by MLB trade rumors has signed so far. So we're in for another maybe collusive uh, winter, but we have trades.
1: Yeah. Okay. So we're back on track. The Seattle Mariners have continued to liquidate their major league roster. Um, I'm just going to read down the two big trades that were both announced today, Monday, and have been percolating over the weekend. So the first one, uh, the Mets trade. Outfielder Jay Bruce, right-handed pitcher Anthony Swarzak, and minor leaguers outfielder uh, Jared Kelnick, right-handed pitcher Justin Dunn, and right-handed pitcher Gerson Batista, to Seattle for Robinson Cano, Edwin D- and Edwin Diaz, and Cash. Uh, and the second trade is the Mariners send all-star shortstop Gene Segura, left-handed pitcher James Pazos, and right-handed pitcher Juan Nicasio to the Phillies for shortstop J.P. Crawford and first baseman Carlos Santana. Uh, let's go with the big one is... I don't know if I don't know if it's it's more consequential from a major league standpoint, but it's definitely got more bigger names. And Zach, you wrote about the the Cano trade, so let's start there.
0: Well, I think the interesting part about this deal is that it unfolded over a, a number of days online, where there were a lot of different interpretations of the trade. There were a lot of different periods of guys we thought might be moving and then didn't end up moving. Cash amounts we thought would end up moving and didn't end up moving. And it really allowed us to run the spectrum of reactions we thought. Oh, this is a terrible trade from one perspective, then it's a great trade from one perspective, and then it sort of settled in the middle. You have fans on both sides who are alternately upset about it and enthused about it, and I think that's kind of where I ended up too. My piece said it might end up being a lose-lose for both of them, which is the take I have. I think it doesn't entirely make sense from either side, even though in a vacuum, the valuations add up. I don't necessarily like what it says about the, direction that either team is planning to take over the next few years.
1: That's where I started when four years ago, when we first started hearing these rumors, um, it sounded like it was going to be Cano alone and there wasn't going to be money coming back or it was Cano and they were trying to rebuild their farm system in in anticipation of trading, trading Noah Syndergaard. Uh, And so that combination of, of taking on a lot of money uh, for a player who wasn't really a great fit, oh, it was Jeff McNeil was was part of the rumored package. Jeff McNeil, who was a surprising major league success last year, and I don't know if he's that much worse than Robinson Cano is right now. Um, so if they were making that trade and then setting up to to trade Syndergaard, that didn't make sense for me. But what it what it turned into, the way it is now, I ended up. I think I, I think I really like this trade for the Mets, and obvi- and you made this caveat that this is. Uh, in your in your piece that uh that ran on this trade, it's contingent on them not trading Syndergaard. And they've been rumored to be in the hump for Cory Kluber. And if they it like if um Andre Jimenez or or Peter Alonso winds up going out to, to Cleveland for uh for Corey Kluber, the Mets all of a sudden look very, very scary for uh for 2019. Cano is he's getting old, but he's and he might have to move off second base relatively uh in or in the relatively near future, but he's a really good hitter. Edwin Diaz is, if not the best relief pitcher in baseball, one of the best relief pitchers in baseball. Uh, They managed to make the money work. And not that this matters a whole lot for, particularly because like the Mariners aren't going to spend this money and the, the, the Mets, I think it only matters insofar as Brody Van Wagenen has to work within the constraints that the Will Ponds have set for him. But getting getting off of the Bruce contract, getting off the Swarzak contract, and getting some cash back, I think helps a lot. The prospects they gave back, you know, I like Kelnick, I like Dunn, but they're not so unreasonable for a for a solid, you know, at the very least, a solid average second baseman and an elite closer. And you can pick holes And you know, Dunn has had command problems. Dunn might be a reliever. Dunn you know, is he was, uh, for a high-performing college pitcher, has a lot of uh, question marks. And, you know, Kelnick is still several years away. So I come down being very pro-Mets on this trade.
0: Yeah, I think I'm definitely more anti-Mariner side than anti-Mets side. The conversation over the last, I don't know, 48 hours has morphed into some people talking about Kelnick like he's the second coming of Vlad Guerrero, but he's not Vlad Jr., He's a good prospect, but there's a reason he's not even a top 50 prospect, and there's a, probably a reason that the Mets, who picked him number six overall just a few months ago, are willing to trade him now. I think we'll talk more about the Mariner side in a minute when we get to the Segura trade too, but from the Mets' perspective, the reason I think I'm not as high on it as you are is it, is it pot commits them, to use a poker analogy. They're pushing chips in now, and they have a lot now invested in the next season or two, And they're still not there yet. They were a fourth place team last year. They have holes at catcher, one of the outfield spots, still have a hole in relief. And one of the things that got lost, I think, talking about Robinson Cano is that he's not just a big contract. He's still a useful player now. Edwin Diaz is a great player now, but relievers are volatile. Who's to say how good Diaz will be in two seasons, let alone Cano when he's 38 years old. I just don't know if the Mets are in the spot yet where they're quite ready to be shrinking their window of contention.
1: I don't know that this shrinks their window of contention at all, because Kelnick was so far away, and Dunn is not a good enough prospect to really move your window of contention. And you look at where they are now, like, what they've got right now is... Jacob DeGrom, Zach Wheeler, Noah Syndergaard, and that's a really good top three, and those guys are all running out of They're well, first of all, they're all getting older, but they're also running out of years of team control. And you look at what they've got, you know, I think you can make the argument that they underachieved quite a bit last year. When you think about how they could have called up Alonzo, but they didn't, um, you know, Michael Conforto had some, uh, struggles early in the season, uh, Brandon Nimmo didn't get in a lineup for uh, the first couple weeks of the season. And, you know, McNeil was a huge factor and only came up in the in the past couple months. You know, you could really talk yourself and, you know, the Mets are doing that thing I wrote about a couple weeks ago where they are taking an average ish team and taking advantage of the fact that everybody is is tanking and looking for teams to take these big contracts or or cash in on guys like Diaz, who has four years of team control left. Um, you can get those guys relatively cheap. And this, you know, this deal is not without risk. You know, Diaz is is not just a pitcher, but a relief pitcher and Cano is getting older and maybe he's a mediocre first baseman uh, within 12 months. But that's a very fair price for a team that was not as far off of a pretty winnable division. Like there are a bunch of good teams in in the National League East now, but there's not there's not an Astros, there's not a Red Sox that, that is really just going to blow the entire competition away. So you know, the, I think that division is still there for the taking. And I think this is a you know a clever first big move by Bernie Van Wagenen to improve the team while operating within the constraints of working under a Wilpon budget.
0: With the Wilpons is where I mentioned them perhaps shrinking their window of contention because while this ends up being relatively cost neutral for them the next two seasons because of the cash from Seattle because they're getting rid of Jay Bruce's contract toward the back half of the remaining five years of Cano when he's still being paid a lot of money in his age 40 seasons. That's where I'm not so sure the Mets are going to be willing to use their other payroll space to add around Cano. I'm sure Bobby has more thoughts about that as a Mets fan, but that's where I'd be a little hesitant if I were just coming out and praising this outright for the Mets.
1: Yeah, Bobby, where are you? Because, you know, the Mets fans on staff have have had a, a rough week. Like, we almost had to peel Sean Fennessy off the ceiling. Uh, he was so <laughs> angry about this trade when the first rumors started leaking about it.
2: I mean, it was interesting because I feel like I experienced it. I feel like I experienced all facets of the possible emotions that I could have felt about this because we're watching it unfold in real time, which is a very weird way to... I think experience trades, especially when you're a fan of a team who usually doesn't make the right decision, like usually doesn't make the right trade. So you're wary of it to begin with. So I kind of saw where Sean was coming from. But your point about Syndergaard is an astute one to me because if they go and trade Syndergaard, then what was the point of all of this? Like, why trade Syndergaard and then go get Kluber? That just doesn't really make sense to me because you could make the argument that when healthy, Syndergaard is better than Kluber now anyway and he's on the right side of his peak rather than the wrong side of his peak. But yeah, I think it all comes down to whether they're going to do this all the way cuz they've often made halfway decisions. Like there was a lot of talk last year Sandy Alderson gave a lot of quotes to the press at spring training and and in the offseason about how they had a defined budget to spend and that that budget wasn't low. It was like in the range of I think like 165 or 170 million, but that that budget wasn't really necessarily allowing for them to spend a lot of money and that just seems like a halfway solution and so if they are going to spend up to the luxury tax and they are going to actually go for it this year under Brody Van Wagenen one I want to know what he did to the Wilpons and and how I can I get some of that serum out of him and two who is it going to be for hopefully not corner outfielders who can't play defense
1: Yeah, I think if nothing else, this is a step away from the Mets usual free agent acquisition strategy, which is guys, you know, playing guys a a couple steps to the right on the defensive spectrum of where they, where they really belong. And that sort of leans into one last thing. I'm interested in how all this shakes out is where McNeil goes, whether they usher Cano off second base uh, a little bit early, although, you know. Peter alonso has got to be the opening day or not opening day, because obviously they're going to hold him down to, to push back his free agency a year, but like the May 1st, first baseman, um, what happens to Cano, what happens to McNeil? I would consider playing McNeil in center field, uh, because that's been a position. Yeah. I think he's got the athleticism. Um, you know, we'll just throw him out there, see how he tracks fly balls. That's been a big hole for the Mets. And I think that, you know, McNeil could be the solution there if Cano is going to play second, but Anything else on on this trade before we move on to the other one? If
0: we're going to move on to the other one, it makes sense to talk a little bit more about what Seattle got back. And I think maybe my least favorite move that ownership can take isn't just tanking, but it's tanking by packaging high salary players for your most valuable trade chips. So sure, you get salary relief, but you don't get good young prospects back in return, which is exactly what Seattle did here. Again, Kelnick is a good prospect, but if you compare the returns Seattle got to the returns that other top closers have fetched recently, it kind of pales in comparison. Last year at the trade deadline, Brad Hand got back Francisco Mejia for the Padres. He had the same control as Diaz, and Francisco Mejia was a top 10, top 20 prospect. A few years earlier, Craig Kimbrell and Ken Giles both brought back better returns than Diaz brings back, and Ken Giles wasn't even as good as as Edwin Diaz. So tying Cano's contract to him sort of nullified some of the value that your single best value trade package could have brought back. And I, I just, I understand it because the Mariners got a new owner in 2016. He wants to spend less money if they're not going to be winning, but it's just really upsetting from a competitive and from a baseball operations standpoint to see them squander this opportunity to
1: improve. I I think that's a good point. I'm glad you you brought that up before we moved on cuz they did this a little bit by uh tagging Juan Nicasio onto the end of the the Segura trade uh as well. And it is frustrating for for the reasons that that you said. It's I I wonder what the you know what Diaz could have gotten um gotten back if if he had been the only thing in the package. And you know, I think there's going to be a lot of there's going to be a lot of press about how much the Mariners have improved their farm system um, that I think ignores how dog shit their farm system has been uh, up until this point, how badly they've drafted. They got rocked on a couple of trades. Um, and this is, uh, you know, you and Ben and I were talking about this on Slack last night. Like you said, Kelnick doesn't. He's good. I I like him a lot as a prospect. He's not going to turn your franchise around on your own. Same thing with Justin Dunn, and the same thing really with with Jordan or with uh, with Sheffield, who they got back for James Paxton. Those are guys with a lot of risk. Even guys, you know, even guys like Sheffield, who are closer to the majors. Even though I like the the Sheffield for Paxton trade, I, I think there's going to be a lot of spin about how much the Mariners have improved their farm system because you know you look at the the guys they got back, and I don't know. Does this take them from twenty nine or thirty in in baseball to like? 23 or 24 and they've just had such it's a combination of bad luck and just bad draft so
0: yeah there there was an espn report i think late last week that uh, i think it was buster only who said he heard from other teams that they think seattle might end this off season with a top five farm system yeah it's work at their farm That's, system
1: yeah. i'd be surprised if it ends up top 15 yeah it's one thing i will say is i don't think diaz was their best uh trade piece i think mitch Haniger was. Or was or will be if they decide to move him. And maybe they get something huge back for him from a team that that uh misses on Bryce Harper. Maybe that's the the move they wait for Harper to sign and, and move Hanager Haniger to somebody who uh needs that kind of impact corner bat. But I, you know, are they gonna move him for Vlad Guerrero Jr. Like, are they going to move him for the entire, for like three of the top four San Diego Padres prospects? Like, that's not going to happen. They're not, I don't think they're going to be able to make up enough ground to accelerate what's going to be a really long rebuild. And I'm sympathetic to, to that front office for what they inherited a couple of years ago. And Jerry DePoto did a lot, you know, a lot of the moves that he made, I would have done if not the exact same moves, but something from the same overarching strategy. I think they did the right thing trying to do essentially what the Mets are doing right now. And I've said that here and I've I've written that here, but, you know, what they're looking at right now is 2013 Phillies or 2017 Royals without the World Series in the uh, the rearview mirror. And that's an incredibly tough thing to swallow. And I... You know, just sort of feel bad. And but I you know, looking at what what was happening to their to their core and Paxson going closer to free agency and uh losing Nelson Cruz to free agency, Cano getting older, Corey Seeger, not Corey Seeger, sorry, Kyle Seeger getting uh uh hurt this year and getting older himself. Like I don't know what the better solution was. I would have just, like you said, you wanna see a team like that use its financial might to rebuild faster or better. And that's not really what they're doing in either of these trades.
0: Basically all day today, I was waiting to hear what other prospects were going back to Seattle and the Phillies trade. Uh, I think you ran that earlier. Yeah, it's basically just JP Crawford and Carlos Santana. Uh, Crawford, not technically a prospect anymore because he passed his rookie plate appearances threshold, but he basically is still a very young player um, and he was a top 20 prospect as recently as last offseason, so he might still be great, but he's another situation where it's kind of anxiety inducing. If I'm a Mariners fan that Philadelphia, which had looked at him so closely for so many years, was willing to trade him for another more expensive shortstop. I don't know. I, I would assume that the Phillies know the most of anybody about J.P. Crawford and the fact that they were willing to move on so quickly has me a little worried about him. and there was just nobody else. It doesn't entirely make sense that they didn't even get back a lottery arm or like a rookie ball slugger or somebody who might turn into something at some point. Maybe they think Carlos Santana can rebuild some of his value and they'll be able to trade him, but getting Santana back for Segura means you're not even saving that much money.
1: So let me play devil's advocate here. Ordinarily, I think you'd be right about a a prospect who has sort of stalled out at the top of the developmental chain like like Crawford has um, that the team that's letting him go would know the most about him I think the Phillies had a bad read on him and that you know there are questions about Crawford's effort or makeup or however you want to however you want to phrase that I think they mishandled him at the top of the chain and I think the the Mariners are buying low on a guy who was being talked about you know he was a top 10 prospect uh, a couple years ago for multiple seasons like he was in that generation of of Francisco Lindor and and Correa maybe not as good as those guys at the top end but he's going to he's going to get on base he's going to play good defense at shortstop and like that's incredibly valuable and you look at Carlos Santana he was disappointing for the Phillies based on what they paid for him and how big a deal that was that, that free agent signing and the fact that they had to move Reese Hoskins to left field where he was remade Pat Burrell look like Barry Bonds uh defensively It was a mistake by the Phillies, and they're dumping the salary now. But you look at what Santana did, even in a bad year in Philadelphia, he put up the same numbers Ryan Healy did, plus 75 points of OBP. So Santana is a useful player, even if he doesn't bounce back all the way to what he was two or three years ago. And Segura, you know, Segura's great. He does a strikeout. He play, you know, it's three straight seasons of, of 20 or more steals. Um, he hits for a high average, hits for a little bit of power. He's a really good shortstop. You know, he made the All-Star team last year and deservedly so. But weirdly, shortstop is sort of saturated right now, particularly among teams that have designs on contending in the near future. And the Phillies, I don't know, like it's down to the Phillies and the Brewers, I think, or um, among teams that don't already have somebody to fill that position, which made it Kind of a tough market to sell Segura in, and I don't know. Maybe that means you wait. Maybe that means you don't do it right now. Because this is, even with all of those caveats, even though I like Crawford a lot and I think he's got a relatively high floor and still has more potential than somebody with with his major league performance uh, would lead you to believe. Even though I think that there's still value in Santana. How did they not get more? Like there was, I saw the name, I saw Zach Eflin's name. Uh, come across the the timeline. And before, you know, I dug a little bit and this w- wasn't being reported by by anybody credible. I was like, okay, if Eflin's the other guy in this trade, I'm still okay with that if I'm the Phillies. Because Segura is that good. And Crawford, at this point, they're just out on him. Like, you don't give Scott Kingery all those chances that he got, particularly at, at shortstop, where he's he was in so obviously over his head and move, uh, move Crawford around a third base like they did you know, you don't do that if you believe in a guy. And it's just, I'm I'm shocked they didn't get, like, I didn't think they were going to get Sixto Sanchez or anything like that. But I thought, you know, another lottery arm, another, the Phillies have so many live arms in the low minors. I'm shocked that they couldn't pry one of them loose. Or if, if they couldn't, that they couldn't find another suitor to, to beat this package.
0: I'm going to put you on the spot. So Crawford has five years left before he hits free agency, which is basically where you want to, gain the most value from a prospect. Mm -hmm. Segura is under contract for four more seasons and then has an option for a fifth year. Which of those two shortstops do you think produces more war over those next five seasons?
1: I think it's Segura. I think just the bat gives him... The bat up front could let him build a a huge lead. And, you know, it's possible that, that Crawford puts up something like 20 wins over those five years. You know, that's not... Out of the realm of of reasonable expectation for him to just put it all together in, in that, you know, as a change of scenery guy. But Segura is so reliable right now. I don't know why I'd bet against him. And the, you know, the Phillies had they took such a beating last year because they were playing Hoskins out of position and because they didn't have a shortstop. And by getting rid of Santana and acquiring Segura, they fixed both of those things in, in one go. And they've still got the financial wherewithal to go after at least one of Machado, Harper or Patrick Corbin, if they can get, you know, if they can get Machado to, to buy into playing third base there. So, you know, I, this, this deal made a lot of sense for the Phillies. I'm just, and you even look at the, you even look at the relievers they got back. Like Pazos is fine. Like the Phillies needed a lot of depth in the bullpen. Nicasio's is not the guy who, who was a couple of years ago. And, you know, maybe Pazos is, a little bit better than replacement level, but that's that's still useful for the way the Phillies' uh, season shook out last year, and the the holes are trying to fill. And I'm just like the Mariners are tearing it all down for, and they're not doing better. You know, they're not doing, they're not getting enough back to to get excited. And they had so such a little or such such little prospect foundation to build on that you know this just doesn't feel like ushering in a new era. It feels like giving up
0: I do understand why the Mariners are rebuilding they play in a division with the Astros and even though they won 89 89 games last year they had the Pythagorean record below 500 they were really lucky and they still didn't make the playoffs and while it's disappointing to see a team that came close to the playoffs take a huge step back. I understand it. But on the flip side, I think the National League East all of a sudden is maybe the most interesting division in baseball. The Braves added Josh Donaldson, the Nationals traded for Jan Gomes, who's a fairly good catcher after signing Kurt Suzuki, who himself is a fairly good catcher. And now you have the Mets and Phillies making these additions to say nothing of the fact that Harper and Patrick Corbin and Manny Machado have all been tied to various National League East teams. So while the Marlins will still be the dregs of the division, it sets up four teams competing. And I don't know the who Nats the should be pretty is. good,
1: even if they do lose Harper. I think they're, right. yeah, they've got a lot of good players on a team still.
0: I don't know who the favorite is at this point, but I think at least from a competitive balance perspective, it's good to have another division where you have not just the Yankees or Red Sox competing at the top, but three or four teams. That's kind of what you wrote about in your article recently about teams in the middle class making a play for it. And I'm glad we have teams battling in that perspective.
1: Yeah, I, I will say it would the, what the Mets and Phillies are doing and the, what the Braves have done, uh, the advantage of, of trying to get from around 500 to around 90 wins, like that's easy to do. And it would be a lot more effective if the only three teams trying it weren't all in the same division. Um, like this would this would have been really effective if, if the Twins had made one of these trades, for instance. Um, so that's the only caveat, the only you know, thing I've sort of walked back in the past week. Yeah, I think the the National League is is probably going to be the only division with four teams with a legitimate shot at winning it next year. And I don't know what my better idea is for Seattle. I guess that's what I keep coming back to. This was just going to happen. They're just going to be bad for the next saying that you're going to just wait for the Astros to to get old is not a strategy. Like I can't it's almost indefensible, but like the Mariners might be bad for for the next 5 years just no matter what that front office does, so it's
0: congratulations to their owner who, come twenty twenty one, will have to pay Kyle Seeger and nobody else. So right, I'm, he'll be I'm, saving money while they're losing.
1: I was gonna say I forgot. I was gonna make a joke about you know maybe if Seattle's ownership's uh, saving so much money, maybe they can give me a, a discount on uh, Super Smash Brothers for the Switch. But I forgot that uh, Nintendo sold off most of their stake in the team. So even that just even the jokes don't work. Huge bummer. All right. Well, I think we've we've covered these two trades. Uh, we'll, I guess we'll come back the next time something interesting happens. Maybe like not if something interesting happens in the next forty eight hours. But uh, you know, big trades or free agent signings. If Mitch Haniger moves, uh, we will come back and, and talk about that. But uh, thanks for joining me, Zach. Have a good one. That'll do it for this edition of The Ringer MLB Show. Uh, Thanks to Zach Cram for joining me today. Thanks to Bobby Wagner for stitching everything together. Uh, Thanks to Robinson Cano and Gene Segura for giving us stuff to talk about. And thank you for listening. Enjoy the offseason, and we'll see you next time.